0: Your host for Lacrosse Talk PM, Rick Sola. All right, it's round two for me today. Lacrosse Talk PM. And Rick Solomon the phone with me is Central High School Spanish teacher. We're going to just do what we're going to do this hour is learning hour. We're going to teach everybody just a little bit of Spanish. Uh, how much <laughs> Spanish can you convey to the audience uh, in one hour? Can we? What? What? Can we get fluid in? Fluent, fluid, fluent.
1: Well, uh, uh, close, close. You know, um, for for good students like you, you probably just about get there in an hour.
0: Yeah, right. Can we? We can get. Uh, oh man, I'm not even going to remember. Nope, I don't even remember how to. I need to go to the bathroom, or where is the bathroom? I can't even do that one anymore. <laughs> Just doing all my like Billy Madison or whatever Adam Sandler tropes. Uh 7914 yeah. is the talking text line if you want to get in here. Uh we're just gonna be I think you know, we'll we'll talk a little bit about the lacrosse school district as you've been there for I I have written down from last time twenty six years, but that could have been old notes. Is this twenty seventh year twenty seven for you?
1: Uh 27th year overall, but
0: only my 25th in lacrosse. Okay, uh, 20. Okay, so 26th in lacs. in lacrosse. Right? So I'm going to write that down. So next time, um, yeah. And you're you're uh, you're Spanish. You're of Spanish descent, so teaching Spanish is very easy for you, right?
1: <laughs> not
0: no, not a lot of Spanish descent there. Yeah, it'd
1: be it, it, uh, it, uh, German.
0: If anybody's seen Havlicek, he, he he looks more like the Boston Celtic Havlicek than maybe uh, maybe the a, a Spanish uh, somebody who speaks Spanish. It is weird. It is we- Like you do not fit the bill. Like my Spanish teachers were both. First of all, in high school they were both women, but you know one they were they definitely had Spanish names. Now like, I can't remember either of their names because it was like. 30 years ago but yeah they definitely were you know like oh yeah you would be a spanish teacher because your name is like gutierrez or whatever
1: (laughs) well you know most uh most educators are women in general yeah you know uh, our profession skews maybe two to one uh female to male something like that maybe a little more is that good and languages maybe more
0: you think that's good? Like 2 to 1 women? I mean when when you look at society as a whole uh <laughs> like it's, it's like we need more women doing the all the things and then except for the teacher profession, but I don't even know if that's a bad thing.
1: Uh you know, I think we we do need more representation um for men going into education uh, in particular at the lower levels. You know, they talk about um most of my students, every once in a while, something might come up and the kids will say, yeah, I didn't have a male teacher K-6, not one. And I think that's, uh, it's, that, it's not that it's, you know, that the women are doing a bad job or anything like that. You just want, you know, some some diverse representation there.
0: I, I don't know if this is a great question for you, but maybe you've, I mean, you've been the, you were, you know, head of the Teachers Association. Um do schools think about that when, okay, so, c- because before you get to middle school, you just have one teacher. We're still doing that model, right? Like, you just have one teacher in first grade, one teacher in second grade, right?
1: Um, yes, and Be- no, you have kind of your homeroom teacher, but then you would still have uh, somebody else for gym class. Yeah, gym and art and stuff like
0: that. Yeah, but your yeah, main teacher... Kind of well, do do schools think about this? Like, okay, Sally had a female first grade teacher, a female second grade teacher, a female third grade. You know, maybe we should switch that up. Like, by the you know, maybe two of the five years that she's in grade school, she gets a male teacher. Do they think about that, or their analytics for that? That would be, I think, that would be important.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think they they tend to talk about a lot of that stuff um, in terms of racial demographics um but you know there just aren't that many men that go into elementary education
0: yeah and and it's getting yeah. even worse now right not just men in teaching but yeah. teaching in general um what do yeah. you think the biggest reasons for that are in terms of and if i didn't say it i think i, I maybe just made the joke of your spanish, Longtime long central high school spanish teacher i like to throw a long time in there for you john um <laughs> You know, the, the teacher profession, it's getting harder and harder to find teachers. I, I had Dr. Aaron Engel, the superintendent of the La Crosse School District, on last week. He said, especially in, like, um, special education and stuff like that, he said they're okay yep. in, in regular, quote-unquote, regular teaching jobs. But, but I've heard from you and, and uh, Jesse Martinez that, that it is. that it is the the teacher profession is dwindling. Um, What would yep. you say? Is there, like, a top three, a top five? I mean, what would you say are the big reasons for that?
1: um there's been a, a distinct loss in autonomy you know loss of of respect for like my professional experience and my credentials and so then a lot of our decision making has been taken away from us I would say that that is pretty high up uh, I'd say another thing is the increasing workload you know we we and and I'm not just talking about lacrosse I'm talking about Across the state and across the country, we are expected to do more with less. You know that that phrase was probably coined for a teacher or by a teacher, and you know it's just um, it it burns you out so quickly, and it's really hard. Um, and then I would say the overall they call it the the teacher pay penalty that you know, when they compare people who go into education with people in other professions that have similar levels of education, who have similar levels of experience, who have similar demands placed on them, um, we make maybe 15% less. Um, and that's including uh, benefits and things like that. Um, so, you know, that's significant. Sure. And so th- those are probably my top
0: three. All right. We're going to take a break. We started this really on a downer, kind of. I was going to try to – we should have just started <laughs> – we should have just did what I did this morning and did top five Christmas movies to, to start. That would have been – but uh, all right. We're, we're not going to talk about uh, the education profession the whole time, but obviously if you have questions, uh, Havlicek probably be, be glad to try and answer them, 608-785-7914. But we got to take a news break. We'll be back.
1: Rudolph the red nosed reindeer.
0: Alright, welcome back to LaCrosse Talk PM. This is see, this is my favorite Christmas song right here. I have a check You might even say I don't know if you can hear it. And the other 608-785-7914. Hmm, I wonder what button I gotta hit to make you be able to hear that. I thought they were in. All right, well, you could pretend that there was an awesome jo- Jack Johnson, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer song. That's what you're listening to. You could have just pretended. Come on. Oh, I love that song, Rick. Yeah. <laughs> uh, John Havacek's the longtime Central High School Spanish teacher. We're going to rant and rave here a little bit about politics because obviously we are we are all affected by politics, and we're all voters. Yeah. Um, but something that you brought up, that that in being a voter— and I had Joe Billings. So, Joe Billings would be your state rep, right? Yes. Your state assembly rep. So, you live in that district. Um, I had her on to talk about this a little bit. And she didn't want to, she didn't, it wasn't a great topic for her. But we were talking about gerrymandering a little bit and how her district is safe. And how, um, and ironically, Steve Doyle's district right north of La Crosse is one of, I think I've been told about six districts out of ninety-nine that are contested, and Steve Doyle's yeah. been in office for a decade, and a, a new person that that has a name. I think his father was a a state rep, so he has like a little bit of a name recognition. But he just runs as a Republican, and 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 he's very competitive with Steve Doyle, an incumbent for a decade, who's you know pretty. Pretty established and pretty, I would say, a pretty good rep. And yeah. that district, and that district is like 50 Like you don't know which way it's going to go with a newbie versus a ten-year, a 10 rep. Um, yeah. And and we only have six out of ninety-nine of those in the state, which means yeah. something is up. But man, it would be great. I bet Republicans in the city of La Crosse would be like, "Wow, it'd be great if we had a district where Jill Billings didn't have to just kind of, you know, coast." I'm not saying Jill Billings doesn't work hard, and she tried to make that point yesterday. And I'm like, Jill, I don't yeah. you're not not working hard, but you don't have to work all that hard to campaign because your district's pretty safe. Like unless, unless another Democrat runs and goes more Democrat than Jill Billings, then she might be in trouble. But that's the problem you have, right? is the, the idea that uh, to win to win an election in most of these assembly districts is to go further left or further right.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we've been seeing this now for years, and it's very concerning. You know, the, the whole, um, like, voter efficiency gap and all these things. I mean, they've narrowed it down. They've, they've made a science out of this. And what ends up happening, whether you're left or right, is with these just hyper-partisan, extreme gerrymanders, it brings out the crazies. And I'm not saying Joe Billings like that at all. But what you get then is if some Democrat wants to beat Joe Billings, they have to run to our left. If somebody wants to be, if some Republican wants to beat Robin Voss, they have to run to his right. And as much as I disagree with Robin Voss, somebody to his right is worse, from my perspective. And Robin Voss barely won his seat. Yeah, the- you know, he barely, that was kind of crazy for him.
0: Well, and when you say barely won his seat, it's because no Democrat ran against Robin Voss, because not because Robin Voss has been the Assembly Speaker for longer than anyone in the history of the state of Wisconsin, but yeah. because Robin Voss's district is so Republican that he doesn't right. have to worry. And of course, the guy yeah. who's in charge of the Republicans and who's in charge of the state legislature and who's in charge of drawing the district lines is going to make his district extra super yeah. safe. And then, and then yeah. some nobody comes out and almost beats him in a primary so when two Republicans go against each other this guy goes uh, all in for Trump all in for the election yep. was stolen all in for all this all the nonsense to the right and then he almost beats the most powerful Republican in the state of the Wisconsin in the state of Wisconsin and then tries to run a write in campaign to to go after him again which is never gonna work yep. in a in a in a in a partisan election no and then
1: and you know you had mentioned this earlier. Uh, this is the whole issue with the Supreme Court race in the spring is, you know, the, the state Supreme Court has all, you know, as it's currently configured, uh, is 4-3 conservative uh, with the one gentleman who will sometimes, who's sometimes kind of a swing vote um, has already, you know, the current badly gerrymandered maps. Yeah. And all the way up to the Supreme Court, like you and I were talking about, um, before the show today, the Supreme Court has already said federal court is not the place to challenge partisan gerrymandering.
0: Yeah, the U.S. That Supreme is, Court. Yep.
1: Yeah. Uh, the Wisconsin map. I think there was a case out of Pennsylvania. Um, so if they're saying we're not going to take care of it, then it has to get resolved at the state level. So this is a huge election in the spring. And so. Then you had, you had talked about this North Carolina case with the independent state legislature theory, but the Supreme Court is listening to a case right now, the U.S. Supreme Court, that could determine that state courts have really no business meddling in whatever legislature, the legislature says regarding elections. Um, man. So, like, there's no fair referee. There's no impartial person to go timeout. That's not fair. Yeah, when like, I, holy I
0: when I when I brought up, uh, we talked about gerrymandering either last week or two weeks ago. And when I brought up the idea that you know just whoever wins the the majority in a certain election every decade gets to draw the maps, that's ludicrous. We could take that out of the equation. But then the U.S. Supreme Court says we're not going to be a part of that, and then and now the U.S. Supreme Court is now trying to get their hands in that again. So, like in one way they say that we're not going to be a part of that, and then another way they say we're gonna we're gonna take total we're gonna our decision is gonna take is gonna be the only part of that, and we're gonna decide for everybody if a, if if uh, if the U.S. Supreme Court rules in favor of this fringe theory out of North Carolina, it would give the power to state legislators. To determine just about everything when it comes to elections, when it comes to gerrymandering, when it comes to the district lines, it's it's uh yeah it's it's pretty crazy that they're even considering it.
1: Yeah, it's it is absolutely a fringe theory, and it's also concerning that Ginny Thomas, Virginia Thomas, wife of Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas, was promoting that theory. You know, they have the text that she was sending she was promoting that theory that that you know some state I think she was talking about Arizona should submit a different slate of electors I think oh my lord you know this is scary this is scary stuff and and what's I think real hard is you know when you're winning you think the referees are great but nobody wins all the time and so I think you know the person who lives three blocks away from me that is very conservative. This is going to come back to, to bite that guy in the butt, too, because this is what produces the crazies. This is where we get the crazies, because if you want to win, you've got to run on the fringe. Uh, and right now it's mostly the Republicans then. So this is what produces um, like this lady that's running for the state Senate. You know I'm um, Miss Branchin, Janelle Branchin?
0: Yeah, She was the she's uh she I believe she was the head of the Wisconsin Election Commission for the Republicans. And then uh as we have new leadership now, they they tried to quietly just say see you later. <laughs> You're out of here. Yeah.
1: Sideline her,
0: yeah. Which is which is funny yeah. because when they when they sideline her, then she goes, Oh, see, like and she could just say deep state, see the, the 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 what do we call them, rhino Republicans are trying to kick me out, Donald Trump won the election yeah. and then she's, now there's an open seat for Wisconsin State Senate on, on the left side of the state and, and then she's, you know like she's going to go run there and run on a very fringe far right campaign that says, you know it's me against all, it's me against everybody, me against the government yeah. somebody who's been in government
1: and So then that ends up coming back to be a thorn in the side of the people who made that district so gerrymandered right in the end they're gonna you know robin boss is gonna collect his paycheck he's gonna write legislation to benefit himself um but his constituents aren't being served you know something like 70 percent of wisconsin residents across the state said that we should be accepting medicare expansion money nope we don't have it because robin boss won't boss won't let it happen you know, what uh, was it with marijuana legalization, at least um, medicinal? Like 65% of the people in Wisconsin said they were in favor of that. Doesn't happen. Uh, fair maps. I mean, like 60 or 70% of Wisconsinites said they want fair maps. Doesn't happen.
0: Yeah, literally every time those things go to some type of referendum or some type of, uh, some type of county board uh, advisory committee vote, um, yeah. they, come, they come out passing. And that might be because... It might be partly because those areas put those on the on the ballot because they know they're going to pass. So they might, you know, Janelle Branch is running for state yeah. Senate in the Milwaukee area, but a very Republican area of Milwaukee. So if maybe they put something on the ballot that said, do you want to legalize marijuana? Do you want fair maps? Do you want, uh, it would be interesting if the fair maps one, um, you know, that, that, might, that might fail. But so far, every one of those has passed on, on referendum.
1: Well, Right. And when we're we're talking about statewide issues, you have to look at them, the statewide information. You know, you can't say, well, we're not going to do it in the entire state simply because one uh, legislative district doesn't like
0: it. Oh, oh yeah, for sure. But it would be great if that legislative district put it on the ballot as well, so we could just see, you know, how that vote goes, because... You know, maybe it does go, maybe it does pass. And you go, even this, even this very red district once, you know, Medicaid expansion is kind of a no brainer. We just, we're losing like millions of dollars a year by not accepting this. It like costs taxpayers money not to, not to have the state accept Medicaid expansion. It's just, it's a no brainer and we don't do it. I don't know why. All right, that's John Halvachek. He's a Central High School Spanish teacher, also is very fired up about some of the politics going on. Uh, as a, He's a voter, just like you and me. So uh, we'll be back. Brad's got to do the new Scott's Comment coming up. All right, welcome back to Lacrosse Talk PM. On the phone with me, John Havlicek, Central High School Spanish teacher, and he's now my political pundit. He's a he's one of the, another political pundit I have. To bring on! He's going to rant and rave about things. We ranted and raved, raved, raved. We ranted and raved about uh, gerrymandering a little bit, and we and then we did. We kept doing show over the break, so y'all missed the show that we did during the show or during the break. Um, just continuing that a little bit, just. Um, yeah, we have a Wisconsin Supreme Court race that that could that could dive into um, the new maps that the state of Wisconsin drew and and I don't want to get into all the minutia you'd have to just go back and and read because we we went through like three different series of of or three different stages of how these maps are going to um, come out in Wisconsin and and they're never the the maps the only time the maps are ever drawn where there was no like there was no objection to them. It just, they went by quote unquote by the book is when Republicans held the entire state uh, legislature and the governorship in 2010. And they just, they just did the maps the way they wanted. They locked Democrats out of the room. They had non-disclosure agreements. Uh, when you went into the room to look at the maps and, and those are the only time, the only time in like the last 50 years that we haven't gone to the courts because the the way we draw maps in Wisconsin just doesn't work. And uh, everybody can test all the things, but then in the end, uh, we just took the Republican drawn maps the way the way the uh, they they drew them up. They didn't even have to redraw them, even though the Wisconsin Supreme Court said, "Hey, these aren't working. You have to redraw them." Um, but there was one one Supreme Court judge who who flip flopped there, and it's Brian Hagedorn. And I, what's funny is John is he's the only guy on the Supreme Court, so the rest are women. And he flip flopped on this, and he might have taken his orders from the U.S. Supreme Court when it came to. I don't. I don't know. That's like a that that would be a very conspiratorial theory of mine. But, um, but it's it's just one of them things where the the U.S. Supreme Court goes, hey, you need to you know rethink this, and then all of a sudden this the the Supreme Court judge flips and doesn't take Governor Tony Evers' maps, which is funny, right? Like we're talking we're talking about a thing where oh, we're gonna take the governor's maps in a a Democratic governor's maps in a Republican legislature. Maybe we should just get the the Democrats and Republicans out of the map drawing process. It's easy. It's easy to do. Just look to Iowa.
1: Exactly the Iowa map, and I'm trying to think of who the the two former state senators were that were touring the state um, quite extensively, uh, maybe five or six years ago. Um, but there was one Republican, one Democrat. And they were saying that this is the single biggest issue is you've gotta have fair maps. Um, you know, because the way they're drawn right now, it promotes crazy. It promotes dysfunction.
0: Would one of them be named um, Cal-
1: Democrats or Republicans?
0: Would one be named Calvin Potter? Does that name sound familiar?
1: Oh uh jeez. No, okay. I can picture
0: I mean, it doesn't matter. I I try to Google it, but it's hard to like talk and Google and and research all at the same time. I can't. I don't know where the phrase comes from, but the walk and chew gum. That's not me. I can't. I can't walk and chew gum at the same time. Even though I actually I can. Um, oh, speaking of what's what's the policy in your classroom for chewing gum? Are, are kids even chewing gum anymore? <laughs> yeah,
1: kids chew gum. Kids, kids chew gum.
0: And then do you put your hand out and make them spit it into your hand to hold the garbage can, or do you catch them a lot? What's, what's your policy, or you let them do it?
1: Uh, you know, I just tell the kids, like, you know what, don't be obnoxious. Uh, and honestly, common sense prevails. Uh, my kids are pretty good about, like, you know, if you need to get a drink of water, go get a drink of water. If you need to go to the bathroom, go to the bathroom. If you need to, I don't know, get a tissue and blow your nose, just do it. Don't be obnoxious, don't disrupt class uh pay attention, participate in your group when we're in groups and stuff like that and I gotta be honest i got I got uh great kids
0: so you give them a lot of freedom, which means you're but you're you have the you have high school kids right i do okay would your would your would that ability change if you had maybe like first and second graders <laughs> well.
1: Yeah, first and second graders. Are <laughs> I don't, know. but I, I wouldn't want to teach elementary school. I'm not wired that way.
0: Yeah, we always say that. Like that's where that's where we need the. Is there a is there a Spanish teacher in first and second grade? Do we do that?
1: Um, you know, some schools have that stuff. Uh, Northwoods Elementary had some of that. Um, you know, that is the best way kids learn. Right. Right. There's a lot of research out there that says that. If you just gave the kids 30 minutes, a couple of days a week in first grade, you know, and then a little bit more in second, third, fourth, um, that actually uh, they would pick up quite a bit. And the there are these uh, kind of corollary effects that their reading scores would go up, their math scores go up on these standardized tests and the whole bit.
0: Is this something you don't like to promote because then you'd be out of a job because we wouldn't need Spanish in high school because kids already know how to speak it in first and second grade and then beyond? Just the
1: opposite. You know, we would be able to do more things with the kids, and, you know, we would have more kids uh, in the program. You know, other countries, they start second language probably by third grade. And, you know, we get, when we have, like, exchange students from other countries, uh, most of them speak several languages.
0: Do you have exchange students from, say, span that come and take your spanish class and you're like wow you, you did really great you get an a <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah i have had that actually a lot of them they'll put those kids like in the spanish class um just as kind of a de-stressor <laughs> so that they can uh they can interact easily and you know like i'll get a kid maybe in spanish five uh so then those kids in spanish five are usually pretty serious students uh, they're usually seniors uh, things like that. How so much it ends up being a good?
0: Experience. How much does that help? You get a foreign exchange student who's fluent in the language that you're teaching, and you get them in class. Yeah. Like, how much do you take advantage of that? Or maybe your students take advantage of? They they probably like, especially at the higher levels, when the, when your students are actually pretty good at speaking Spanish too. But man, you really probably could take advantage of of a kid like that, a foreign exchange student.
1: Yeah, it's really helpful, and you know, I mean, let's not forget, I have I have. Uh, native and heritage speakers anyway, you know, that are not from some other country. Yeah, okay. Uh, For several years, I had a student, um, you know, in my Spanish classes, and then she graduated, but now I have another student in my Spanish classes who speaks Spanish at home. And it's very, very, um, it's great. Obviously, the other kids look at this kid like, "Holy smokes, right? (laughs) That's pretty cool. And it's nice for me to be able to say, well, how do you say this? Like, how do your mom and dad say it? How do you yeah. your, your family say, say whatever it is that we're talking about? And this kid will say, oh, well, we do it like that."
0: She should be on the payroll.
1: <laughs> yeah, well, it's funny because sometimes, sometimes she'll agree with me. Sometimes she'll say, yeah, we don't really say it like that. And, and so then the kids are kind of interested, and I'm interested, and you have to kind of walk that line. Like, I don't want to put these kids on the spot, right? yeah, yeah. Um, but it would be a shame if we cannot tap into their expertise and their experiences
0: also I get I get the when a foreign exchange student who isn't fluid in English takes your Spanish ca- class just to kind of be like who I feel a little at home here um but what about this kid that's that's parents speak Spanish at home but they're probably fluid in English this this kid is just skating by this is I don't know about this
1: yeah I mean you know it's well, the thing is, though, too, that a lot of times, native or what we call heritage speakers, as well, um, if they're speaking a language at home, they're not—they're not getting instruction in that language.
0: Do you know what I mean? Yeah.
1: So these go quickly through the levels, but they still get some benefit. All
0: right, I want to stick with school here for a bit. Um, sure. The
1: oh, just a quick, quick anecdote. Okay. You know, I had an exchange student from Spain a few years ago. Yeah. And. Um, I helped her with her English as well because the English class that they put her in was reading The Fall of the House of Usher as a short story. <laughs> okay. And I don't know if you've ever read that. No. I mean, it's a great story, but, like, there's no way this kid could read it. So every day she came to my class classroom, uh, one of my prep hours, and we for, like, the three weeks that they were reading the short story, and she and I read the short story. That was quite a workout for me, both yeah. English and Spanish.
0: Yeah, for sure. We're speaking with John Havlicek. He you haven't figured it out, he's a Spanish teacher at Central High School. has been doing that for a quarter of a century, more than a quarter of a century. Yep. <laughs> um, all right, so, like, obviously the referendum didn't pass in the, in lacrosse. We're not going to, at this point, build a $194.7 million high school so we need a new plan. I had Engel, the superintendent lacrosse school superintendent, Dr. Aaron Engel, and last week. He said, Okay, we're not gonna do a two high school plan. That's that's not that's not on the drawing board or whatever you want to call it. He said, So we're gonna look at consolidating elementary and middle schools. And um so I don't I don't know. Do you have and and he said that by January, by next month, the some of those plans or some of the conversation will start to come to fruition. I don't know if you're a part of that or if you have opinions there. What, what do you think? Are, are you part of these conversations?
1: I am not part of the conversations other than, you know, like there are different listening sessions that, that staff can attend or that the general public can attend and stuff, and I would imagine that those will will ramp up again. Um, but, no, I'm not part of any of those discussions. Um, yeah, it's hard, you know. Uh, I, I I get the concerns of folks when they start talking about going to one high school. Um, I, I don't know. I, I don't know what the, the solution is. I did read through the, the document that the district put out that talked about the different facilities and stuff. And it was, you know, three, 400 page document. To it took me days to read through it. Um, I just, uh, I, I agree that something needs to be done, but I think the, that wasn't the right solution. And I think, no, um, well, you know, the folks in the school district made their voices heard.
0: Most uh, people clearly. I don't. I don't have. Maybe because it's the easiest theory. If we're not going to consolidate down to one high school, then we and we need to. And we have too many buildings in the Lacrosse School District, and and eighty six million dollars of. I think it's eighty two or eighty six, somewhere around there. Eighty some million dollars of. Deferred maintenance on uh, these buildings, and most of that money is on just a couple of the buildings that we could probably like axe out of the equation. But a lot, like the only theory as to what to do to consolidate is to bring seventh and eighth graders. This is the like most popular one to the high schools, and then the high schools would have seventh and eighth grade, and then high school. And then everyone I talk to that's in teaching or in the teachers' education says that's not a that's not a model conducive to learning to conducive to how the school would be set up even how the schools are set up now uh, I don't know what what do you think about bringing like merging seventh and eighth grade into the high school
1: uh, you know there's some good and bads you know um, there are certainly some some advantages in terms of these kids could get some different programming and stuff like that um, in terms of their coursework there's a bit of a concern when you're talking about uh, seventh grader is now, we're talking like, well, over 13 years old in the same building with a bunch of 18-year-olds. So there are some, there's some concerns there. Um, yeah, I know that this was the most, this is the one that everyone seems to go to as like plan B, you know, their, their second choice or whatever, the better choice. Um, but, I, you know, I think sometimes we look at things, we like to see things in neat, orderly, symmetrical packages. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Um, it's kind of like that. What do they call it? The trap of three or the rule of three, where when people give reasons for something, they tend to give three reasons.
0: Yeah, you gave me uh, your top three earlier about uh, loss of autonomy, okay. do more with less, and teacher pay penalty. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, really. That's true. Um, so, you know, maybe there's some other solution. Like, what if you took one of the high schools and made it? Um. Uh, uh, an eight, eight twelve, or a seven twelve, but not the other one. That would probably allow you to close two of the middle schools. Um, and for some parents who are like, "Yeah, I do want that for my kid. I'm not worried about the downside. So I only, you know, then you can send your kid there. You know, I, I don't know, right? I'm just, yeah, I'm not promoting that. I'm just saying that." Maybe there are some irregular solutions. I'm trying to think of what the district was. Is when this guy talked about maybe 10 years ago, there was a teacher at Central that in hers, where she grew up, they attended sixth grade in a building. Like, the entire district went to the same building for sixth grade.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: One year. And... She just kind of said, "Yeah, everybody. Everybody that hears that thinks that must be so disruptive." And she just kind of said, "No, not really. I mean, it was a little weird because you're only there for a year, but everybody did it. So, you know, the next year you went to maybe two middle schools and then one high school. It was just a very irregular pattern, and maybe it's not the best, but it worked uh, for them anyway."
0: Yeah, I remember. And
1: so those but- irregular solutions out there, I just I don't know.
0: There was a year when I was in a first and second grade classroom, so I was with first and second graders, and that was just one year. And then um, and when I went to high school, we were all in the same building, but the building was very blocked off. The upstairs was middle school. The downstairs on the one side of the the school was grade school, and the way on the other side, and there was a big door that was – I don't remember if that door – I don't think that door was locked, but it was closed – and then on the other side of that door was the scary high schoolers. And I had to walk through there at the end of the day to get to my bus. And it was always a little intimidating to do that. But it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like intimidating for any reason. Just be, just that I had to walk by all these big people.
1: Right. And, you know, uh, so there, there's maybe different solutions. Maybe they have to go back and look. You know, the hard part is Central has a bigger building than Logan, but nowhere near enough. Like campus green space. Yeah, Logan has the space, but not a big enough building. So maybe they need to look at at just uh, throw it all out and start over again and try to come up with new solutions.
0: Yeah, Um, yeah. People need multiple choice. I think they need a couple of different. uh, We need to start throwing more ideas out there to see what 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 sticks. All right, we're going to take one more break. We'll wrap up when we come back. All right, welcome back to the Crosstalk PM. Just going to wrap up here with John Havlicek, the Central High School Spanish teacher. Um, how tough is it as we approach the Christmas break for you guys? How, like how how much less productive are students as we get closer and closer to Christmas?
1: I, I got to be honest, you know, my kids are pretty darn good. You know, uh, we try to keep it an even keel the whole time, um, not big variations, and we really try to focus on like what happens in the classroom, you know, speaking and listening and all that. Um, because kids do get more distracted in general, um, and some in a good way, some in not a great way, right? Um, sometimes Christmas isn't great um, for some of our of our
0: kids. Oh, sure, yeah, I never think about that. I had it great. So, I'd, yeah, it's like one of those things, oh, yeah, this isn't like happy and awesome for everybody. Um, how distracted do teachers get? Because maybe they look more forward to that week off. <laughs>
1: <laughs> maybe, right? You know, it, it, sometimes there's this whole, like, cramming stuff in before break, and that's one of the benefits of being a Spanish is that, uh, you know, we just kind of say, look, we will move through the material at the pace that is appropriate for the kids that I have. Is and there when I feel that we're ready for a, an assessment, we will have the
0: assessment. <laughs> Is there, like, maybe the day before the big Christmas break, do you, and you're a Spanish teacher, right? Do you, uh, like, in time constraints, do you play something that's, you know, like, like it would be funny to play Christmas Vacation and put, like, the Spanish, <laughs> like, Spanish dubbed, as opposed to subtitles, but dubbed. Sure. That would be funny, but I don't know if you've you ever tried that or done that.
1: Well, you know, this year, the, the last day before we leave for break, um, there's kind of a fun day set up for the kids where they can ex- uh, have some different experiences and stuff like that. Um, so it's not a regular class day that last day. I don't want to give too much away. Um, but it sounds like it's gonna be pretty pretty
0: exciting. All right, that's John Havachek. He's the Central High School Spanish teacher. John, I appreciate you coming on. Thanks.
1: Yeah thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for listening.